Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. So I've been waiting for this moment for about six months now. We're going to launch into something new this week, and we're going to start looking at a story, a particular story of a person in the Bible together. Uh, James chapter 1. How many of you guys love the book of James? Yeah, we're not talking about James, don't worry. Uh, that would be a short story and a kind of sad story as well. But um, James chapter 1 tells us that the Word of God, it's like a mirror that we can choose what to do with, right? We can choose to look into it intently, or we can choose to glance at it and walk away. And James invites us that we need to gaze intently into what the Word says, that all Scripture is God-breathed, and we come to the Word to truly see ourselves through it. We allow the Word to reshape things in our hearts and make us look more like Jesus. That's the goal. So as we come to the Word today, the promise that James gives us is that if we will slow down a little bit, if we will take time with the story that God has given us, it will be a big blessing in our lives. That's His promise to us. And so I want to, you know, tell you, I believe that as we come to a story, that if you'll slow down with it, if you'll take time with it, it will be a huge, huge blessing to you and your journey as well. As we look at this particular story, you might find that parts of your own story are reflected here. You might feel the Holy Spirit kind of prompting you and working on some things in your own heart. So I want to invite you, let's slow down. Let's allow God to shape our lives. Amen? So how we can do that practically, um, I want to invite you to grab someone. Maybe you've never done a, a deep study in a part of Scripture before, but grab somebody, grab a group, grab a partner who you can be real with about your own life story, and journey with us as we study together. Don't leave it to Sundays to meditate on the Word. Uh, we want to talk about it together through the week, and we do this together intentionally, and we'll see that blessing James is talking about, because the Word of God was always meant to be read in community heard in community, talked about, meditated on in community. So each week on Monday, we're going to make some things available for you. If you do want to go deep, if you want to gaze intently into this particular story, uh, each week Monday we'll have something called the Ladder Sessions. It'll be available both audio and video, so on YouTube and on our podcast. Maybe you're someone who likes to listen to things while driving or working out or whatever. You can have that on the audio. Don't please watch a YouTube video while driving unless you have a sweet Tesla, and then you're good to go, right? Uh, but please don't have any accidents for this purpose, right? Uh, and Scott, who's a police officer in the lobby, says amen to that. <laughs> uh, so each week we'll have some things for you, but I want to invite you, grab somebody, journey. There's going to be questions for you. There'll be deeper study, other things to review. Um, really go deep with it. So would you turn with me as we open the Word together to Psalm 139 today? Psalm 139 is this incredible reflection on who God is um, from David. And we're going to read a couple of verses, but really what David's giving us is a picture of God with us. God who is always there, always caring for us. That You can't escape God in your life is what David says. And I want to read to you verse 13 through 18. David says this right in Psalm 139. He says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. 
You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. What an incredibly beautiful thought from David about how God cares deeply for every single one of us before we even draw a breath. You know, these truths we're going to see reflected in the character we're going to study together. That God is always right there. That God knows you and I from eternity to eternity. It's kind of a, a weird thought, but the idea that God knows my great-great-grandchildren already. He knows everything about them. cares deeply for them. That's the God we serve and the God that we learn about. He knows the good and the bad about all of us. He knows our tendencies. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And He chooses to be with us. He chooses to work in our stories, regardless of what we get up to. And so we're going to dive into the story together of someone who, really we see what David is talking about here. From the womb, God is at work, but from the womb we get a picture of this character. How many of you guys know that the Bible is a grand story? It's not a, a treasure map. It's not, you know, a, a how-to guide. It's a story that God tells and a story that is full of great characters. Those characters, though, are human characters, right? They're not perfect. Just like you and I, anybody here who's perfect? Okay, thank God for that. If we meet, uh, then we can just turn the service over to Jesus because he'd be the only one, right? But they're human characters. And we're going to study a very human character for a few weeks here. I want us to meet a man whose story is very important to the overall story of the Bible. And as we journey through it, I know that God will speak to you as he spoke to me very deeply about yourself and will bless you. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive into the story. Jesus, we're thankful that you're here and that you are here to do some work on us. You're here to uh, come and expose things about our hearts, our natural tendencies, but God, to remind us above all else that you knew us before we ever drew a breath, that your choice has always to be with us, even when we choose not to be with you, there's nowhere we can hide from you. There's nowhere we can run from you. We can't escape from your presence because you desire to be involved in every moment of our lives. We thank you, God, for who you are. We pray that as we just open this story today, that you would immediately show us some things and immediately assure us of your goodness in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to introduce you today to a man named Jacob. And we're going to get a first look at a character named Jacob. And the question I have for you today is, who is Jacob to you in the Bible? Who is he to you? Is he, is he significant? Is he insignificant? Do you know where to look for Jacob's story? And the thing is this, if you don't know anything about Jacob, that might even be a better thing today <laughs> for you to kind of come in cold to the story. So if you don't have a clue, that's a great place to be. But we're going to study in this man's story today, and uh, we're going to just get started. I think right away you'll see some things that you can immediately take home and apply to your life. So in the book of Genesis, we get the very beginning, right? And after we leave the garden in Genesis, things go horribly wrong for human beings over and over again. But then the story reaches a new phase in Genesis 12. God selects a man named Abraham and starts something new. I love Abraham. Is there anybody else who loves Abraham out there? Abraham's story in the Bible. I love Father Abraham. He's one of my favorite people to study in the Word of God. 
Then a few generations later, we run into Joseph the dreamer. We did a whole study on Joseph's life a few years back, and what an amazing story Joseph is. But in between Abraham and Joseph, there's two generations. And quite honestly, there are two stories that I sort of like to skim through for the most part. Um, Isaac arrives, and to be honest with you, I mean, as I approach, can, can I be honest as a pastor today? Like, it's a little bit more boring for me than what happens in Abraham or Joseph's life. And then there's Jacob. And Jacob, I just really didn't like. Is it okay to say that about somebody in the Bible? I just really didn't like Jacob's story. He's kind of a jerk a lot of times. So we're going to look at Jacob's life. And, and here's the thing. Even though Jacob's a little prickly at times, and kind of not somebody who I'd like to spend time with, God speaks to us through Jacob's story. You know, How many of you guys have that uh, kind of made-up list in your mind of like, when I get to heaven, I'd like to talk to this person? Anyone? Come on, maybe you've heard somebody say that before. Like, oh, when I get to heaven, I just, I gotta ask Paul about this situation or whatever. Right? Well, let me just say this kind of like definitively here. The person who probably is not on my list of people I want to talk to in heaven would be Jacob at this point. So I'm, I know I'm really setting a terrible table here for us to, to feast on, but Jacob is, is one of those people who to this point in my life, I haven't really loved to look at. I didn't want to hang out with him, and I don't necessarily want to identify with him. But then late last year, as I was studying, God really drew me to Jacob's story and said, I want you to slow down. I want you to read a little deeper. I want you to take some time with Jacob. I want you to learn some things from Jacob. I want you to gaze intently into the mirror that is Jacob's life for you. And to be honest, I didn't want to, but I did. And as I did, I was absolutely blown away by some of the depth of insight, some of the things that God revealed to me through this story that, you know, heretofore I like to skip. I was blown away. And I believe that as we study Jacob's life together, God will blow you away with some things as well. He will share some things with your heart that maybe he hasn't even revealed to me. So if you jump into it with us, I believe God will bless you in an incredible way. And if you jump into the latter sessions through the week with us, we're going to go a little deeper with the insights. The biggest thing that I learned along the way from Jacob's story is simply this. I am Jacob. I am Jacob in so many ways. And you might have a similar feeling after we get into it a little bit. But I realized that part of the reason why this story made me so uncomfortable is that in Jacob, I saw some things that reminded me a lot of myself and maybe a lot of the parts of me that I'm not so excited about. And it's okay for us to look intently into those things as well. But for Jacob, it all begins before he's even born. It all begins in the womb with Jacob. We get a picture, literally, before he's born, of who he's going to become. So I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. And we're going to look at the very, very beginning of Jacob's story together. Genesis chapter 25. We're going to start in verse 19. It says, This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Keep an eye out for Uncle Laban later in the story, all right? Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me, she asked. 
And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. And when the time came to give birth, Rebekah discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with a thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. Okay. All right. You ever heard the saying, you never get a second chance at a first impression? Well, I kind of feel for Jacob here because his first impression happens pretty much immediately and we get quite a flavor of who Jacob's going to be right here as he's born. There are some things that were told about Jacob right away which are actually quite significant for his story. Anybody out there love to read books? Do we have any bookish type people in here? All right, maybe some favorite authors. Who's your favorite author? Anybody? John Grisham. I'm actually reading a John Grisham book right now, wouldn't you know? Any other favorite, maybe favorite genre? Anybody else? No? No? Okay. All right. Well, as long as nobody shouts out Fifty Shades of Grey, we're going to be all right today, okay? Okay, you guys are still awake. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Have you noticed that, you know, the way that we come to a book, if you love to read books, we kind of want details, right? We want those authors who really, you can just picture it in your mind exactly. You know, we're, we're given lots of details to spark our imaginations. They tell us things like the height, the eye color, the hair color, whether the guy was ripped or not, those kind of things so that we get a picture in our mind. It's like we're watching a movie when we're reading each page. That's how we expect our authors to provide us with information. But... Bible stories are a little different than that most of the time. You know, when you come across a story in the Word of God, oftentimes they're, they're very light on physical detail. They don't necessarily give us a lot of tangible information about what's going on in the situation for us to be able to picture ourselves there. It's, it's kind of tricky sometimes to put yourself in the shoes of a person in the Bible because of it. They're light on physical details. But here's the thing about reading Bible stories. When they do give you any physical detail, it's almost always very significant. It's something that you should pay attention to. It's something that means something in the greater story. And and oftentimes, even physical details, like we saw with Saul a couple weeks ago, being taller than the rest, they have actually spiritual reasons attached to them for giving that detail and that information. They're significant. Well, immediately with Jacob here, we see a couple of things, important details. The first thing is this. In the womb, he's at war. He's warring in the womb with his twin brother Esau. They're wrestling. You know, if you know anything about Jacob's story, you know that wrestling becomes a thing for him, right? He goes on to wrestle with God. So you see some things about who he is to become very quickly. And we're also told that when he's born, he is grasping the heel of his brother Esau. Grasping the heel. The author is revealing some things about the nature of Jacob to us. First thing is simply this. He's always striving for more. He's always looking to get more and more. He's always grasping whatever he can get. And frequently, that puts Jacob at odds with everybody else. It puts him at odds with people. Some of you guys have kids that are in this stage. Others maybe can remember when your kid was in this stage. But what happens when a child learns the word more? Anyone? They never stop using it, right? (laughs) More, my, me, right? 
Every time that they learn that word, they never stop using it. But Jacob here, as we see in the very first story, the very first impression we're giving of him, he's sort of head of the class when it comes to self-centeredness. And that becomes a thing for him. He got a head start in the whole me, mine, and more thing in the womb. And immediately we're introduced to his sort of cutthroat, prickly nature. He's given the name Jacob. And the first meaning of this name is quite literally heel grabber. It, it describes what's going on as he's born here. He's grasping the wound of, womb of, or the heel of his older brother in the womb. It becomes part of his story, though. It's something that the author continues and carries on. He's always reaching for more. He's always striving for whatever he can get. But whom is he striving with? Well, if you read the story, he pretty much is striving against everyone. It doesn't matter who or when or where, Jacob is always looking to gain an edge over every person he comes into contact with. But in this moment, he's striving with his twin brother Esau. Esau, we're told later, it means hairy because he was kind of hairy at birth. That's kind of an unfortunate, isn't that kind of rude? I feel like that's rude, right? Like little monkey boy, whatever. That's messed up to call somebody that. Doesn't matter that I used to tease my older brother with the same thing. Whatever. We're going to gloss over those details. But he was pretty hairy always. That also plays an important part in the story, ironically. But we're also told that Esau was exceptionally red at birth. Later, Esau would be given the name Edom, which means red, for multiple reasons. The Old Testament professor, Dr. John Goldengay, he says that this is the moment where we're introduced to the story of grabber and red. So if you want to think about this story in those terms, you can. If you know your Bible well, you'll also know that the Lord's words do come to pass when he says these two nations will be rivals and we at war because the nation of Edom becomes a consistent thorn in the side of God's people as the story continues. They continually wage war against Jacob's descendants. The original audience of this book, they would know all about this because, quite honestly, they saw it playing out on the grand stage as their countrymen went to war with Edom, literally. So their story is greatly affected by Grandpa Jacob and his twin brother. And we'll get into that a little bit as we study Jacob's story. But what I want you to know is these little details that were given in this birth narrative, they are not just throwaway details. The differences between Jacob and Esau, they're important. And right from the beginning, we're shown just how different the two boys are. And that's important to the story because in many ways, Jacob and Esau are opposites with one another. They're opposites of one another. And it's uncomfortable as we go on because the guy who you want to be the hero has so many flaws as we look at it. He's so far from perfect. But those things that we're told... They set up this rivalry between the two of them, and it's important that we remember that. Have you ever met a family who has, you know, two kids, and those two kids could not be more different? Anybody, you know, have a cousin or something like that? You know, I, Laura has a cousin, and, and her two little boys, they're, they're like op complete opposites of each other. You know, uh, maybe one is quiet, and the other one's loud. One is driven, and the other one's maybe a little more passive and relaxed about things. Sometimes we talk about type A type people and type B people. Have you ever heard of that distinction before? Oh, he's just super type A, stay out of his way, right? Oh, he's more type B, and he gets along with everybody. Now, type A people can't stop themselves. They have to be the best. They're going to be the captain of the team. They're going to be the winner at all times, or they're not going to have a good time. There's a type B person, maybe not so competitive. They don't care as much what people think. They don't feel like they need to prove anything to anyone. Well, in the same way, 
more than just the physical details of Jacob and Esau, the personality details are important too. In many ways, Jacob is that ultimate type A guy, and, and, and Esau is not. Professor Golden Gay again says this, Esau was number one, but he wasn't bothered by that. Jacob was number two, but he always wanted to be number one, no matter what. They were twins, and Esau was the older by just a few seconds, but it was as if Jacob was already reaching out to catch up with his big brother as they left the womb. So in the womb, we see a big difference between the two, and in the womb, we get a picture of Jacob's opinion on things, his, his way of operating. You see, in that day and in that culture, being the firstborn carried a lot of significance. It carried financial significance. They would have a double portion of the inheritance and blessing from their family. And it's like Jacob from the very beginning wasn't having it. He was going to set the record straight. Even before they were born, this is who he is. So we see this about him. And it's kind of encapsulated in the second meaning of his name. Second meaning of Jacob's name is simply this, supplanter. Supplanter. That's a weird word. I don't know if you've ever come across that word in our popular lexicon. It means one who seizes, circumvents, or usurps. One who seizes, circumvents, or usurps. As Dr. Tim Mackey says, this guy was born making a power grab. He was born making a power grab, striving for whatever he could get. And this part of his nature, what we have to recognize about Jacob from the beginning is this. This part of his nature ties Jacob to the bigger story of all of human beings in the Bible. All of humankind. The idea of somebody looking to seize power for themselves, looking to make sure that the story goes as they want it to go, looking to be the authority instead of submit to any authority, that is what links Jacob to human nature that we see all throughout the pages of Scripture. It's actually the identical language that we get in Genesis 1-3 through in the story of the garden in the fall is this language of usurping God's authority so that I'll do it my way. I'll do it my way. That's Jacob. Just like Adam and Eve decide to take the power for themselves, do things their way, this nature is so clear in Jacob. It's part of the human condition. It's part of the blood that flows in your veins and mine every day. In the New Testament, this is often referred to as the flesh, right? The flesh that is at war with what the Spirit wants. The sinful nature inside of each of us. So, I think it's important to the story to recognize, even though God starts again with Genesis chapter 12, Abraham's family, Jacob is like this clue to us that the human nature inside of all of us hasn't changed. It's alive and well. That nature in all of us that wants to be power hungry and do things our way, it continues in the story. See, the Bible teaches us something quite different than what our culture wants us to believe about people. The Bible teaches us that God created every single one of us in his image. He created us very good, and he wanted us to live in a perfect world. But in our free will, we chose to go our own way. We choose on a regular basis to reject God's authority in our lives, his designs for us. So every human being born from the womb bears both the image of God, the divine spark, and he also, we also bear the sinful nature, this tendency to do things our own way. And Jacob exemplifies this for us. One of our elders, Pete McMillan, he quotes this famous anonymous poem to me often. He says, two natures beat within my breast. One is foul, the other blessed. 
The one I love, the one I hate, the one I feed will dominate. Maybe you've heard that old poem before, and this really is Jacob's story in this poem. It's Jacob's story that's constantly on display, and it begins in the womb. That's why Jacob becomes such a clear mirror for us to look into. That's why I want us to journey in his story. You see, to the original hearers of this story, it speaks to them because they're Jacob's descendants, his offspring. They see it all at work. Jacob would actually later be given the name Israel, and the Hebrew people would be referred to as, for generations as Jacob. They identify with the story because they literally are the descendants of Jacob. And the story also speaks to you and I today because the patterns that are in Jacob from the womb, the patterns that we see throughout his story emerging, they're within your heart and they're within my heart as well. He's always looking for an edge. He's always grasping for more, wanting control. And this one hits home for me more than anything. Even when God is at work in Jacob's story, even when God is doing amazing things, purposing new things for him, blessing him, protecting him, Jacob always seems to have a backup plan. Jacob always seems to be hedging his bets. Okay, God, we'll do it your way, but if, if I get uncomfortable, I've got my plan. I don't know if this is speaking to you this morning, but I know that more often than not, I find myself in my mind working through, oh, I would do it this way. So in many ways, Jacob hits home for me in a powerful way. Here's the thing is, we can look at Jacob, and I'm sure I've given you the flavor this morning that he's kind of an anti-hero. But I want us to remember this as well. There's a hero in this story. There is a hero in the story. Because no matter how many times Jacob falls into similar patterns over and over again, no matter how many times he usurps the authority of even God and burns bridges with others, God is constantly pursuing Jacob. He never stops. No matter what Jacob does, God is obsessed with Jacob. God is always on the case. Just like the psalmist that we read this morning in earlier verses, he says, I can't escape your spirit. Our God is God with us, Emmanuel. Regardless of what patterns we have, he knows everything about you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knows your nature. He knows our tendencies. And he is still chasing after you. See, Jacob's nature might have presented itself in the womb, but God knew Jacob before he ever grasped any heel. God knew Jacob before he ever learned to wrestle and strive and usurp authority. He knew him before he ever went his own way. And God chose him and pursued him every single day of his life. God appointed Jacob for a purpose. And how many of you guys know that when God says something, it comes to pass? That God's purposes never fail. Amen? So Jacob's story has its peaks and its valleys. It's got challenge for us, and it'll have moments that bring great comfort to you as well. But the real star of the show isn't Jacob. It's God himself. And God has not changed in the 4,000 years since Jacob walked the earth. You know, our God never changes like shifting shadows, James says. He's still working with imperfect human beings for some reason. He never stops pursuing you and I with his relentless love. So as we journey in this story today, and as we go on for the next few weeks, I want to invite you to learn maybe the greatest thing from Jacob. God's faithfulness to you and me has nothing to do with our merits. God's faithfulness isn't dependent on us being faithful to him. 
God will pursue you every day of your life, no matter what you do, and he will never turn his back on you. His faithfulness knows no bounds. Amen? Isn't that something worth celebrating? Yeah, we're going to see this over and over again in Jacob's story. He will never stop loving you, even if you turn your back on him. So today, if you're here, I want you to know, no matter what you've done, no matter how worthy or unworthy you might feel, there is nothing you can do that will disqualify you from the love of God and from his promises for you. There's not a single thing you can do. In Jacob's story, as you start to read it with me, it will show you that over and over again. As the Lord says in Isaiah 55, his word never returns to him void. It always accomplishes his purposes. And the purposes he speaks over Jacob's life are going to come to pass. So let's bear with Jacob as he's figuring it out. Some of those tricky moments in his life just might be an encouragement to you. They might strengthen you as you look into the mirror and see yourself. Last week, CJ talked to us about Joshua and Caleb for a little while. And they decided that they were going to stand on God's promises even when people around them were being faithless, right? They said, if God said it, I'm going to see it. If God said it, I'm going to see it. Can you say amen to that? You know, we need to recognize that about Jacob's story as well. Because Jacob's patterns are ultimately my patterns, but the promises God makes to Jacob are the same promises he wants to make over your life as well. Our struggles and control issues, our failures, our flaws, they are no match for what God speaks over your life. They are no match for God's intention for you. So once again, as the psalmist writes, Psalm 139, how precious are the thoughts that the Lord thinks towards you. You can't sum them up even if you tried. Before you were ever born, when you were formed in your mother's womb, God was ordaining a purpose for you. And he will not stop until it comes to pass in your life. He will never stop pursuing you with his love. So today we're starting a journey. And we're already getting a little bit of a flavor of what Jacob is going to teach us. But I want to encourage you to go deep in the word with us. You know, you can start reading in Genesis 25. It really takes you up to the end of the book of Genesis, Jacob's story. And if you come across something, I want to make this promise to you. You're going to come across some things, if you will do this, that will confuse you. You might even come across some things that will deeply upset you. And if that's the case, I want you to write them down. I want you to pray about them. And I want you to come talk to me or CJ because I promise you there is gold for you in every single turn of this story if you'll go deep with it. If you won't go, oh, that's weird, uh, whatever, like I always did. If you'll sit with it and let it sit with you, it will do some work in your life. How many of you guys know we come to the Word with so many questions sometimes? Like, God, I need answers for this. But if you'll stop and slow down with the Word of God, you find it asks more questions of you than you could ever ask of it, right? So journey with us. And let's commit ourselves to going deep in this story together. Amen? So as we get ready to close this morning, I just want to challenge you for a minute. You know, whatever things that you might find you have in common with Jacob in the story, whatever maybe the word as you journey with it exposes in your own heart, because if you go with the word, it will show you things about your own heart. I want you to remember God is always at work in your story. God formed you in your mother's womb. He will be there with you for generations. You may be here today, and there are things that you know are in your own heart. Areas of your life, maybe, that you know don't belong to God. 
Maybe you haven't surrendered those things to God. God, I want, I want you to be my Savior and Lord, but this area of my life, I don't know if I can follow. Maybe you're here today and there are some things where you don't want to give up control in your life. You know, Jacob was a master of that. It was his story over and over again. And I want you to consider the story of Jacob with us and recognize that God's ways, God's plans for your life are bigger and crazier than you could ask or imagine. They're, his plans are always to prosper you. So maybe today, let him speak into your life about surrendering that control. Even though most of us are wired in some way or another like Jacob to do things our own way, to hedge our bets, trust him and surrender that control to him. Maybe you're here today, and as you'll see with Jacob, you've burned some bridges along the way. Choosing to do things our way has left some relationships even in shambles. You know, it's okay. You're in a good place. You're in a good place when you come to the Word, and you're in a good place in this house. Maybe you've seen firsthand the effect of going your own way, supplanting and usurping. Maybe you've even begun to feel disqualified by that. I want you to know something today. If, you've, if you identify with Jacob's story at all, the enemy wants to come alongside and whisper things in your ear about the times when you've looked like that and not like Jesus. He wants to whisper things into your ear and assign them as part of your identity. You know, that's what the enemy does with us. He comes alongside and he says, hey, you lied. That's because you're a liar. He says, hey, you screwed up there. Well, that's because you're a screw up. Because the enemy loves to take our moments that we're not proud of and assign them to our identity. Tell us this is how it's going to always be. But nothing could be more false when you read the Word of God. Even if you feel disqualified. Even if you feel like if you only knew what I've done or where I've been. Remember the story of Jacob. Remember that God never gave up on him once. I promise you, you will be encouraged as you read this story. Because God's faithfulness is in no way dependent on our faithfulness. God's promises coming into our lives, God's intentions and his heart towards you cannot be changed by anything we do. And it will never stop him from pursuing us. Amen? Aren't you thankful today that it all depends on him and not us? Aren't you thankful today what we celebrated with communion that Jesus paid the price already for everything I will ever do wrong? Amen. Amen. I'm thankful for that. I want us to remember as we close today, we're going to pray in just a second. Remember what Paul writes in Philippians 1.6. He says that we are confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're thankful. Lord, we've just begun to, to dip a toe in the water of this deep, deep story. But already, Lord, we see some things about Jacob. And already, Lord, you're holding up a mirror to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you wouldn't stop. But we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to go deep with us. To take us into the, the moments, even if they're uncomfortable for us, where we get a real picture of who we are and who you call us to be. We pray, Lord, that as you put your finger on things in our lives that you want control of, that you want us to surrender, that we would trust and obey, that we would be willing to step under your authority, that we would stop sometimes that cycle in our own lives of taking the power back, taking the authority, taking the reins out of your hands, and we would learn through this moment to trust you with everything because you are so much more in favor of us than we could imagine. 
Your ways, your thoughts towards us are greater than we could ever imagine. And your purposes exceed our wildest imagination. So Lord, would you help us to learn from this story how to come to you and trust you. How to lay down even our own ideas and our own desires before you. And God, we pray that as we do that, we would inherit such a blessing. We would inherit a double portion of your intentions toward us. And Father, we pray that you would go before us and and really plow the, the field of our hearts. Open up and make us receptive to your word, Lord. That it would bear much fruit in our lives. We give you permission and we trust you. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.